G'day and thank you for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. At the moment, we're just stepping through the book of Hebrews, one chapter per day. In this podcast, you will hear a read through of the chapter today, plus a short devotion to follow. And my prayer is that it's a blessing for you. Hebrews chapter 9. Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. With these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshipper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one. 
but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that, my friends, is Hebrews chapter 9. So we are coming off the back of chapter 8, which was focused on covenant. And here we are in chapter 9, and we are building on what was established in the previous chapter. We are continuing on looking at covenant. We are comparing and contrasting the old covenant to the new covenant. We get detail about the sacrificial system. We get detail about how the temple was set up. So initially it's in the desert and they've literally got a tent. They called it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And in that tent of meeting, you had the holy place. And then beyond this other curtain, you had the most holy place and detail some of the things that were in there. And then we find out that that is actually a picture and a copy of a heavenly reality. And so Moses was told to be careful to follow everything that was told him upon the mountain when he was building that first tabernacle. And the reason he was told to be so careful with it was that he was shown a heavenly reality and he was to replicate it here on earth. And so we find out that when the high priest went in. He was the only one able to go into the most holy place. The priest would go into the holy place. But the high priest alone would go in and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would offer uh, sacrifices for his own sin first and those of his family. And he would offer sacrifices for the sins of all of the Israelites. And in so doing, there was a covering for them. They were atoned for. And in a sense, all of Israel was in that high priest as he went into the, holy, the most holy place where God's presence dwelt. And he, on behalf of the people, went in with the blood of an animal sacrifice and he had authority to go into that space and forgiveness was granted to the people their sin was covered, it was atoned for. But here we discover that whilst that was significant and it did something that was meaningful for the people, it was just a shadow of the ultimate reality, which is what Jesus did when he went into a tabernacle not made by hands, not a copy of the real one, but he went into heaven itself. And he went in not with the blood of another or of an animal. He went in with his own blood, the sacrifice of himself. And we get details like the, the mercy seat and the cherubim of glory that are overshadowing this mercy seat. And these were to be sprinkled with blood. And there's this thing of without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And it's grotesque. You know, to our 21st century 
sensitivities. It's just too much for us. But we need to go with this in order to understand this. And so Jesus goes in, not to a copy, but into the genuine article itself. And it's not these statues of cherubim, but actual angelic beings. He goes in through the sacrifice of himself. And whilst those animal sacrifices were able to, to cleanse in a, to a degree, they were never able to actually take away sin. As sin is covered over. But what Jesus has done is he has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. We have been purified by something so much better than animal sacrifices. We were purified by Jesus himself through his sacrifice. Here it is. I'll leave you with this. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. That was a pretty epic sentence. There was so much in that. But let me just clarify some of the the key points. How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Other translations have it as how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death or cleanse our consciences from useless rituals so that we can serve the living God? A strong purpose that we have, a clear purpose that we have, is that we may serve the living God. But it's not that we have to perform rituals in order to get his attention or his affection. It is simply that we need to accept what he has done for us, receive it gratefully and graciously. And then out of that, the natural response is that we can serve him without this feeling that we need to somehow try and earn this thing that he has given to us as a gift, we will never be able to earn it. We simply receive it and say, thank you, Jesus. You are amazing. Father, would you just open our eyes afresh to see the wondrous sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that through his death, we have access to you. We are cleansed. Thank you that his death was overcome by your power. He rose again, never to die again, seated at your right hand, interceding for us. Hallelujah and amen. God bless you.